Morning, everybody. I'm Ruth, the afflicted curate. We're going to be thinking about abiding and flourishing this morning, so I think we'll move on quickly. Thank you. And we're going to be thinking about how we stay connected to Jesus and how he helps us grow as his followers. Um, We're going to be thinking about grapes and vines, as you can see from the image in front of you. Um, And because that's the imagery that Jesus uses in this passage. So we're going to read from John chapter 15, and we're going to read the first eight verses, and I'm going to read them to you. So John chapter 15 says this. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray as we start. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you used such clear pictures and imagery to get your point across. I pray that what's been prepared this morning will go deep into people's hearts and minds and that we will all learn something new from you today. Amen. So before we get on to start to talk about abiding and flourishing and vines and vineyards, I'm going to introduce you to a very small friend of mine and he's called Moose. Now, um, Moose is nine months old. He's a miniature Dachshund. He's the um, one in the rather fetching knitted jumper that I knitted for him. You know, I can take, um, what do you call project? I will take them on. Um, And he's cuddled up to his big friend and brother, Dobby. Dobby is a lurcher, um, and they live at my house. They look totally angelic, don't they? Totally angelic. Um, Now then, Moose has recently acquired a hobby He's taken up gardening. Now, last summer, gardening outside did not end well for my passion flower, or for the lawn, particularly. And recently, he's taken up indoor gardening. We had a very nice pot plant, which we bought from IKEA, that well-known plant store. And we thought it would go really well in the family room. And then one day, I was out, and Moose pruned it. Here's the evidence. This is what we found. Now, it may not be terribly clear, but you can see that there are some stalks sticking up with no leaves on. There is one leaf that has got a very strange and rather suspicious-looking right-angled tear out of it. There were leaves in the dog's bed. There were leaves on the floor. And you can see that the rug has also been um, sort of... Well, it's not how it's supposed to be. I was not impressed by what I found. Moose and I had an exchange of views, and this was Moose's response. He stalked to the door, he gave me a death stare, and then asked to be let out. We have made up friends since. 
But then I had to think what to do, what on earth I could do to repair the situation. So my first thought was sellotape. Because, you know, sellotape always comes in handy for everything. If you've watched Blue Peter for any length of time, you'll know sellotape is the thing. And um, I thought perhaps I could stick the leaves back on. Um, but then I thought perhaps it's better to stick the leaves into the soil next to the plant, and I'll just use a lot of baby bio. Um, but I, and I hadn't got a magic wand, so that wasn't going to work either. So I decided eventually that the only place for them was the big green compost bin. And that's where they ended up. It was very sad. So why have I told you that? It's a fair question. Other than an opportunity to show you pictures of Moose, because he is very cute, frankly. Well, it turns out that growing things so that they thrive requires a bit of skill and know-how. Things need to be done the right way. Generally speaking, you can't just stick a plant in the ground, walk away and leave it to get on with itself and hope for the best. And I've also discovered that leaving miniature dachshunds in charge of the gardening really doesn't end well. In the passage that we read today, Jesus is using the way that grapes and vines grow and are tended as a way of describing how best we can grow and become more like him. So we're going to be having a look at the context in which Jesus was speaking here. He's talking to his disciples on the night before he was crucified. This was the night that he had washed their feet. He'd eaten with them in that upper room. And Judas has left them. So they're down to 11 disciples plus Jesus. They've just left that upper room where they had the supper and they're now walking around the outskirts of Jerusalem. And Jesus starts talking to them about who he is and these are some of the very last words that he was going to talk to them before he died. Last words from somebody, especially someone as important as Jesus, are really good to take notice of. So we need to take notice of what he said today. And because it's Jesus, he wants to make sure that they really get what he's saying, they really understand. And so he uses picture language that they would have been very familiar with. He talks about vines. He talks about vineyards, about branches and pruning. Similar to Ikea pot plants, but, you know, principles are the same. Jesus mentions grapes and vines actually quite a lot in the Gospels. And that's partly because vineyards were a really common sight in Jesus' time. We know from other stories in the Gospels that Jesus liked to teach his followers using visual examples from everyday life that they would really easily understood. Vineyards and grapes, then, are an obvious choice. And Israel still has an awful lot of vineyards today. In fact, this is one of the ones in the Judean hills. Now, Jesus walked around the Judean hills quite a lot, so he would have seen images that are just like this. And of course, the disciples, too, would have been well used to how vineyards worked. They'd have known how much skill it took to grow good grapes. They would have known how long it took for grapes to grow and to ripen. They would have known that vines need to be constantly tended and pruned to make sure that the grapes have got enough sunlight to ripen. And they would have known that all the extra and unneeded branches were taken away and they would have been burnt or left to rot down to compost. 
course, some of them might even have had a spell working in a vineyard themselves. This was something they were used to. It's something that surrounded them and it was part of their lives. And now their friend and teacher, Jesus, is telling them that he wants them to think of themselves as being part of the vine. Now that's a bit of a change of gear, isn't it, really? Because Jesus is calling himself the true vine. And he's describing his father, God, as the gardener. Now imagine for a minute you're one of the disciples. At the beginning of the week, you've had Palm Sunday. Jesus is welcomed into Jerusalem with lots of fanfare and hosannas and palm branches waving. And he's welcomed as a king. Then he's been a servant to them. He's been washing their grubby, smelly feet, and they found that really uncomfortable. Then you've just had a meal with your friend and with all your other friends, but Jesus has suggested that the bread and the wine that he's um, eating and breaking and drinking is somehow emblematic of his body and his blood. And now you're out for a bit of a post-supper walk, and suddenly, Jesus is telling you that he's the true vine. Now, I'm guessing to the disciples that didn't make an awful lot of sense at first. It must have been a bit confusing. But what Jesus is doing is very skillfully using vines as a picture of how incredibly close the relationship with himself can be. That's what he wants. He wants that, them to have the same close relationship that he has with his father. So, how does this relate to vines and life as a follower of Jesus? What's the connection? Well, firstly, vines are living things. They're growing things, and they need to be attached to the roots in order to keep growing. If they're not, they can't get the water and the nutrients. You remember all this from biology at school. So if Jesus is saying that he's the true vine, then it follows that if we don't stay connected to him, we won't grow. Because where are we going to get our spiritual nutrients from if we're not connected to the true vine, the one who's got the roots going down into God the Father? Where are we going to get it from? Secondly, we've already learned that vines need constant care to produce good grapes. Now, if God is the gardener, Jesus is the vine, then if we don't stay connected to Jesus and allow God to work in us, we won't produce good fruit. So we need attachment to the roots and we need tender, loving care from God. And the third thing is that vines need pruning. That's in order to remove disease sometimes or um, branches that don't do too well. Well, sometimes actually it's to remove leaves that have grown a bit too vigorously because otherwise the sunlight can't get through to the grapes. And sometimes the vineyard growers have to remove branches that are perfectly good and have got fruit on them, but it's just that they... If they don't do that, the real fruit won't grow and prosper. Sometimes God has to prune us, Jesus tells us, so that we'll be even more fruitful than we might have been. Sometimes even good things have to go so that other good things can really grow and flourish. 
So we've had three things. Their vines are living, growing things, and we need to stay connected to Jesus because we are living and growing, or should be. Vines need constant care, and we can get that from Jesus and Father God. And sometimes vines have to be pruned, and so might we. So Jesus' punchline here is you can't bear fruit unless you remain in or abide in me, which is why we're talking about abiding and flourishing. So the abiding and flourishing is about learning how to stay close to Jesus because without it, we won't flourish. But what does that actually mean for us today? Because I'm not green and leafy and neither are you. Let's go back to moose and the plant for a minute. The leaves that were chewed off were no longer attached to the plant. They weren't abiding in it. They weren't, hadn't remained with the plant. And so they couldn't get any of the nutrients that were coming up from the roots, and they weren't getting the water when I remembered to water the plant. And so no matter how much sellotape I used, or whether I'd talked to them nicely, or whether I'd been, you know, anything else I did, they weren't going to reattach and grow. The only thing that was going to happen to those leaves was that they were going to wither away and die, like those ones are looking on the screen. Each of us here today are living, growing beings. So how do we stay connected to Jesus? How do we stay connected to the true vine? Because abiding in or remaining in means or suggests that we've got an intimate, ongoing, deeply personal relationship with the person or thing that you want to be connected to. So how do we go about putting that in place for ourselves? What's it going to look like? Well, spending quality time with Jesus is vital if we want to grow and flourish. Because the closer we are to him, the more we abide in him, the more growth we produce. It's simple really, isn't it? The better the fruit is, the more we stay close to Jesus. And so it's the obvious things like reading the Bible, praying, perhaps using the notes that Jonathan was talking about earlier. Coming to church, we can't, we can't flourish if we're on our own. It doesn't work. Attending small groups, perhaps. Talking to other Christians. Talk to other Christians about how they've remained with Jesus, abided with Jesus talking together about ways we can get to know Jesus better and stay close to him. Perhaps the triplets that we've been talking about recently as well. Those are all good ways of staying close to the vine, to the true vine, Jesus. And of course, if we don't do this, eventually, whether we like it or not, our faith starts to shrivel up a bit, like the leaves that haven't got access to the water through the roots. And it might just be at first that we start to lose a bit of interest, perhaps stop coming to church quite as much, perhaps drop out of our small groups. But sadly, sometimes, eventually, people even walk away, and that's really sad. We don't want to be the leaves that wither away and fall away. But if we're not abiding in Jesus, if we're not remaining close to him and getting the nourishment from him that we need, then it won't go well for us. 
But Jesus also talks about bearing fruit if we remain in him. What are these fruit that he talks about? Because we're not talking about grapes here. But we're talking about the fruits of the Spirit. So we've got this list in Galatians 5, which you'll all be very familiar with, I'm sure. Um, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All things that will be growing in us if we stay close to Jesus. So it's a good way of working out how close we are actually to Jesus, to think about, oh, I wonder what those fruit are looking like in my life. How am I doing with patience? How peaceful am I? Is there joy in my life? Do I love people the way that Jesus loved them, even the people I don't particularly like? If you're not sure how you're doing, it's a good idea to ask someone who's close to you. They generally know, especially ones that you live with in families or the ones that you work with. They will know. And in my experience, the best people to ask, the most honest people to ask, are teenagers. They will tell you how you're doing, especially with patience. So I wonder what fruit you're producing, how well it's going for you. And I ask myself the same question. It's difficult, isn't it? But the closer we remain to Jesus, the more likely we are to be producing these But notice too, we said earlier, that in order to grow and flourish and to produce good fruit, sometimes God has to do some pruning. Now pruning can be really painful. Having bits lopped off will hurt. But Jesus is quite clear that even good branches that are bearing good fruit need pruning sometimes so that the fruit that remains is even better. So it seems counterintuitive, but actually it's a really good, and it's a, it's a gardening principle, I know. Not that I'm a gardener, but I've heard from other people. So what I want you to hear this morning is that don't be discouraged if you feel that God is perhaps removing things from your life that seem good and seem right. It's probably so that some other good fruit can get even better. It's not that God wants to just take away things from your life. The things that you feel are being removed might be really good things. But actually, sometimes it's so that other things can really grow and prosper. So don't lose heart. We all go through pruning stages at some points, just like the vines do in the vineyards. But the other amazing thing that we know about vines is that often the majority of the growth that we see above and that's on the wires and the trellises for vines comes from stock that has been grafted onto the original rootstock. Now, grafting happens when um, one type of vine is grafted into the rootstock, and in order to do that, they have to cut deep into the rootstock, and they put the vine in. You can see there it's been bound on. Um, and it inserted into that cut. And as the cut heals, the two bits of the vine grow together. So it's a way of introducing new stock onto old rootstock. And vineyards apparently do this so that they are 
better disease-free, that they are stronger, that they can produce more fruit. So basically, you can get the best pits of both vines into the one plant. It's very clever. And it means a higher yield and better wine at the end of it, which is always a good thing. Now, Jesus says that he is the true vine. And we've already said that the day after he had this talk with his disciples was the day that he was crucified. He was put to death as a criminal, even though he'd done nothing wrong ever. And in a way, that's like the ultimate act of grafting for us. The pain and the wounds that were inflicted on him allowed us to become one with him. And when he rose again on Easter morning, he beat death and he made sure that no one could ever take us away from him. At that moment, he made it possible for us to be grafted into him. So that means that when we say yes to Jesus for that first time and allow him into our lives, we are grafted into Jesus. And as we get to know him, our bit of the graft gets stronger because we're drawing through from the true vine, Jesus. And we grow more like the person we're grafted into. And of course, being grafted into Jesus is the ultimate, isn't it? Because he keeps us. He keeps us safe. He protects us. He allows us to bear good fruit. And I'm wondering this morning whether some of us don't know, actually, if we've ever been grafted into the true vine that's Jesus. I wonder if some of us need to take that first step this morning for ourselves and to think about who we are grafted to whether it's Jesus or whether it's something else. Who's controlling our lives this morning? So we've learned a lot about vines, and we've learned a lot about abiding and flourishing. And we've learned that if we stay close to Jesus, if we listen to him, if we read his word, if we talk to him, if we allow God to prune us, then we will grow and we will flourish and we will produce good fruit. So, I wondered how best we could work this out in practice, apart from all the things we've mentioned earlier about Bible reading and praying and church and small groups and so on. Those are all the main things, obviously. But I felt like we needed a visual aid and that we could all get behind. And so I've got an announcement to make. Can we have a drum roll, please, David? I bring you the inaugural St. Paul's Giant Sunflower Growing Competition. Now, you're looking a bit confused, um, and that's fair enough, because they're not vines. I get that. However, this is the reasoning behind my slightly strange thinking. Sunflowers are relatively easy to grow. Even I can grow sunflowers. Don't let dashens near them, though, would be my advice. Um, and they require some care and watering in order to grow and flourish. The other thing is that they don't become sunflowers overnight. It's going to take a bit of time, and you will need to keep looking after them. But with the right care and attention, they can grow really big and strong, much taller than me, which isn't much of a challenge, I grant you. But anyway, and they are really beautiful. 
And they produce lots and lots of seeds, which is their version of the sort of fruit. Don't pick me up on the horticultural stuff. Um, and they, the, the birds and the animals will then go on to eat, or even us, but they will also grow more sunflowers. Does that sound familiar? I thought that if we were taking care of our sunflowers and helping them to flourish, then it might make us think about our own growth and our own flourishing and help us to think about what we can do to stay close to Jesus. And then because it's a competition, there will be a prize as yet undecided. Um, and to ensure no cheating, which I'm sure wouldn't go on at St Paul's at all, we need you to provide photographic evidence of your sunflower with you standing next to it. Okay? So no photoshopping in giant sunflowers. And um, we will give you the final results at the end of uh, August, beginning of September, because that's when sunflowers are at their peak, so I'm told. Um, so in order to facilitate you with this great event, you will be given a sunflower seed on your way out. There's one for everybody. And anyone can grow sunflowers, whether you've got a balcony or whatever it is, you can all grow one. And then there will be a leaflet, the St. Paul's Giant Sunflower Growing Competition. Now, before you all tell me, I know there's no gap between growing and competition, okay? And also, it's very special, this leaflet, because it's got a black and white bit on the side. Obviously, that was intentional. Um, and it tells you about growing it really tall, and that's a prize and all the rest of it. So you'll get one of these and a sunflower seed on your way out. So that's what we're going to do. Now, I think we're going to have a song in a minute to finish, but let's pray. Should we just keep as quiet as we can? Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the true vine. Thank you that when we abide in you and we are grafted into you, we grow more like you. And Lord, as we watch our sunflowers grow over the next few months, help us to really think about how we're doing in abiding with you and how we're allowing you to help us grow. And Lord Jesus, too, I just pray that if anybody here needs to get themselves grafted into you for that first time, that they would have the courage to do that. And we ask all this in your name.